Matthew 21 and 1, if you're there, say amen. If you're not, just hold your Bible and look at the screen and act like you are. We'll all believe you. Amen. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any men say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt, put them on their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees, and they strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, they cried, saying, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Again, this begins a special week uh, for us in the history of uh, Christianity. Today, what most religious Christian people recognize as Palm Sunday is the scripture text that I read to you when Jesus came riding in uh, to Jerusalem. But I want to tell you, this was not just something that he did accidentally. It was not coincidentally. It was not just something that happened as he got there to the edge of Jerusalem that it dawned on him, I need a way to ride in. This was all planned. The scripture said it was fulfilled what was spoken by the Old Testament prophet. Everything that the Lord did, he had a plan. And I want to tell you, it is no different for your life today. God has a plan for you. Amen. God has a plan. Let's thank the Lord for his word. God, we're grateful for your precious word. And we ask today that you would speak in this house. I pray today, God, that the soil would be prepared to receive from the good word of God. The good seed. I pray today, God, for revelation. I pray for light. I pray that you would bless those under the sound of my voice, Lord. Those who are watching online today. Those who will hear the echo of this meeting today. I pray that your word would come alive to us in a measure in which we have never seen or known. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And let the church say, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. This is... uh, A blessed hope that we have to be called a child of God. It was the apostle who said that if he had hope in this life only, that he would be of all men most miserable. To those who don't understand the blessed hope of salvation, to them that would just be Christian and and religious rhetoric. But to us, it is a blessed hope that we understand that whatever we go through in this life, That on the other side of this life, there is hope beyond the grave. 
I'm looking at a group of people today here who, although we have understood what it means to have grief and sorrow in our lives, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope, but we have that blessed hope that one day the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. I believe today that we are living in the age of the imminent return of Christ, and I want to be rapture ready. Some would say that we have come to a place now where certainly it's just going to have to ride out and be what it is and that God has lost control. I've seen a lot of people over the last couple of years that have lost faith. They've lost their desire to live for God. And forgive me if this sounds crude or brash today. I don't mean it to be as such or to be offensive. But I want to tell you that this is the dumbest time in history to leave the church. This is the craziest time ever known to man to walk away from a relationship with God and get cold in your spirit. Hey, I'm telling you right now that there may have been tough days with Noah and his family on the ark. And I'm sure that there were times that that old ark got to smelling like you know what with it being full of animals. But hey, hear me when I tell you that the worst day on the ark was better than the best day off the ark. I'd rather be in the church of the living God in the end time and know that I'm going to make it when Jesus comes than I would to walk away and take my chances. God has a plan. Are you glad to be on the ark today? God doesn't do anything chaotic. God doesn't do anything with confusion. God does not do anything in disorder. Everything that God does He does with order. And so people that are looking at this world and they're saying that, you know, it just is what it is. And I guess we're going to have to deal with it. And, you know, whatever happens. Listen, God has not been surprised by one thing that you and I have faced. God has not been surprised by one thing that this world has faced. By this sickness and pandemic or whatever you want to call it that we've been through. God was not surprised by any of that. God did not just sit up on the balcony of heaven one day, get up off of his royal bed, start scratching his head and say, what in the world am I going to do today? Has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? God doesn't just wake up and and, and say, I'm going to have to come up with a plan. Somebody shout, God has a plan. God has a plan. And whatever I go through is part of that plan. And if God does not extract me from the storm, then God's going to teach me the value of Him getting me through the storm. But God has a plan. There have been times that I found myself seeking God for relief in the middle of a storm. But I realized I wasn't praying for the will of God. I was praying for the ministry of extraction. That God would remove the storm from me. But looking back on what I thought was going to destroy me. And what I thought was going to kill me. I realized God was using that season in my life to develop my character. And to develop who I am as a man. And to teach me how to trust Him. Hey can I ask you what some would think to be a rhetorical and redundant question today but if he never healed my body how would I know that he was a healer if he never brought me out how would I know that he was a deliverer but thank God I held on until the storm was over and the Lord kept his hand on my life I do want you to know I still believe it that when the battle is over we're going to wear a crown but you've got to endure the battle We want God oftentimes to relieve us from the darkness of the night. 
how beautifully the psalmist said it that weeping endureth for the night but joy comes in the morning and we're all in a hurry to get to the dawning of a new day but understand it's in the darkness of the night oftentimes with nobody else in the house and lonely tears weeping from your eyelids and landing on an empty pillow and feeling like all hope is gone that in the wee hours of the night that a simple small still voice will come down in where you are and whatever you're going through and say to you my child I have never left you I have never forsaken you lo I am with you always even to the end of the earth what are you saying pastor I'm saying just hang on sweetheart it's been a long night but joy is coming in the morning and God has a plan God has a plan And when you start realizing that your creator does not worry, it gives you the ability to lift worry off of your mind. As a child of God, I refuse to walk around depressed and worried and struggling all the time about what's going to happen tomorrow. Hey, I don't know what tomorrow holds. You can preach this right here. I said, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. going to happen I don't know James said be very very careful how you talk about tomorrow he don't say he said don't you dare say that tomorrow we're going to go into a city and do business he said what you ought to say is if the Lord wills then tomorrow I will go what's that mean for me how, how, how does that affect my life it means that today is the only day you know for sure that you're going to have so honey just endure for today live for God today you're going to make if you can make it through today God's already got tomorrow in his hand Somebody shout it. God has a plan. Well, this don't feel like God's in it. I don't feel like God knows where I'm at. Oh, he does. He knows the way that you take. And when you have been tried, you shall come forth. Woo! As gold. I love it in conversation when people sit down. And and please understand, I'm not making light. But people will sit down with me in counseling conversation. They'll say, Pastor, you just don't understand what I've been through. And there's a voice inside of me, and I'm not saying that I'm bipolar. There's a voice inside of me that's crying out and saying, please listen to what you just said. Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. Back up and say that one more time real slow. You do not understand what I've been what I what what what, what do you mean what I, I don't understand pastor that's that, that that that's part of who I am and it's like if, if I don't let if, if I let the Lord heal me from this then I won't get any more attention from that if if, if I if I come to the understanding that he brought me through, then that means I have to forgive. Woo. If I understand that he brought me through, that means I'm testifying every time I say that because I'm not in it anymore. I survived the storm and I came through. Oh, God. 
God help me. I feel his spirit in this room. Somebody is about to realize in the house this morning, it did not kill you. And you made it through. Oh, God. You made it. I recall it. My great-grandmother's funeral in Dyersburg, Tennessee. One of her favorite songs. My mother sang it for her funeral. There was nobody like Francis Bingham, you would think, until you meet Judy St. Clair. And then you realize my mother is just like her grandmother. And uh, we, we were at that funeral, and I remember I was just a boy. I think I was 13 years old when grandmother passed. And I remember my mom going to the organ in that little funeral home there. And she started singing one of grandmother's favorite songs. One more valley, one more hill. One more trial, one more tear. One more curve in life's road, maybe one more mile to go. You can lay down your heavy load when you get home. And I sat there listening to my mother sing that song. I still love that song. Then I looked up at the casket of my great-grandmother. And something got on me as a boy. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget the day she passed. I'll never forget how all of it happened. I'll never forget Uncle Tubby knocking on the door. I'll, none, I'll never forget that. It was just a powerful moment for me. And I looked up at that 94, 93, 94-year-old body of a woman laying in the casket. And I realized right then, although we're sorrowing that she left, she kept the faith. She fought her fight. And she finished her course and while we rejoice on that it is incumbent upon me now that I keep my nose on the grindstone and I keep on running and when I get weary that I feel that encouraging voice that says be not weary in well doing for in due season you're going to reap if you faint not yes I get tired and yes I get weary but there may just be one more valley there may just be one more mountaintop and on the other side of that there will be glorious Deliverance. I'm going to ask this of you again. Somebody shout it with me. God has a plan. In the Hebrew scripture, the word for winter is setav. Setav means the season of hiding or time of darkness. The winter season is a season of darkness and barrenness and death and gloominess and these last few days man I'm not trying to complain but it's just been Indiana and it's been low clouds and cold I, I woke up this morning and I know I'm supposed to believe the report of the Lord but I woke up this morning I picked up my phone and I looked at the weather channel and it said 29 feels like 29 I said Satan you are a liar It's setav, it's winter, it's, it's darkness, it's gloominess. But on the Hebrew calendar, each year, winter ends with the coming of the month of Nisan. Nisan is the month that ends the darkness, breaks the death of winter. Nisan is the month where the earth begins to bear its fruit. Flowers begin to blossom. Gardens began to be planted and fields are planted in hopes of a harvest. It's a beautiful, beautiful time. It is a time in the Hebrew calendar where the sacred Hebrew year begins. I'm not talking about Yom Kippur, which is truly the, 
new year of the calendar. It is a time of refreshing and renewing. Nisan is the month in the Hebrew calendar of new beginnings. It is a time where everything is fresh and what was once dead can now begin to bloom again. Why does that matter to us? Well, because today... In the United States of America, as we speak right now on the Hebrew calendar, this is Nisan 9. And in Israel, in Jerusalem, it's already Nisan 10. This is why we call this today Palm Sunday. It's the day that our Messiah came and he chose to bring redemption. It's the month that he entered into Jerusalem. It's the month that he died on the cross. And next Sunday, I'll talk to you a little bit about this, but it's also the month that he got up from the grave and he was resurrected. All of this happens in the month of Nisan. Why does it happen that way? Because Nisan is a time of new beginnings. It is when the Messiah comes and it must be a new beginning for us. When Messiah comes, everything changes. It's a season of new life. It's a season of new birth because God is a God of order. And if you believe that, say amen. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 said that God is not the author of confusion or disorder is another way that you could say that, but a God of peace as in all of the churches of the saints. So what I want you to understand is that God is a God of order and structure, and I don't want to by any means today make you snore in Greek or dream in Hebrew, but I want you to follow with me if you would so that you would understand that God is a God of order. Jesus rides into town on his trial triumphal entry on Nisan 10 which was the day of the lamb this was the day that the paschal lamb had to be shown to the priest in Jerusalem and then they would take that lamb home with them and protect that lamb and do all they had to for four days to be certain that the lamb that they were going to sacrifice was preserved and on Nisan 10 the lamb comes home to Jerusalem to be certain that he is protected for the next four days and it was on Nisan 14 which is Pesach it's Pesach Passover. While Jesus observed the Seder uh, of the Passover dinner early, his death on the cross occurred at the very same time the lambs were being sacrificed in the temple. Now we read in Exodus 12 and 5 through 6, follow me very closely here, that your lambs shall be without a male of the first year you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it up until the 14th day somebody say the 14th day the 14th day of what the 14th day of Nisan the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening this word is also translated as dusk or twilight and twilight is translated as uh, in some text between the evenings the time between the evenings according to the historian Josephus I don't know if you've ever read Josephus but he's, his accounts are incredible but he says that the Passover Paschal Lamb was slain between the hours of 3 and 5 p.m. now follow me very closely thus the sacrificing of the Paschal Lambs in the temple correlates and corresponds directly to the time that Jesus died in your Bible it said at the ninth hour that was at three o'clock in the afternoon somebody shout God has a plan he comes riding in on the 10th, the day of the Lamb. He comes home on the 14th day before uh, the evening begins into the Passover. He eats dinner and Passover dinner with his disciples. On the 14th day of the month, Jesus is crucified at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Why? Because the Word said he would be. Matthew 27 
Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hey, let me tell you, if Jesus thinks it's worthy to quote scripture while he's in a dark season, you think it'd help us? You know, Jesus was quoting scripture right here. He was quoting the Psalms of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When you're going through the darkest seasons of your life, you know what's going to bring you through? Some of them stood there when they heard that. When they heard him quoting the word, they said, this man's calling for Elias. Straightway, one of them ran, took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed, gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And then they take him down off of the cross. Now stay with me. Jesus was buried on the first day, which is Nisan 15. Of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Two days before his crucifixion. Jesus prepared his disciples in Matthew 26 and 2 by saying to them. You know that after two days is the Feast of the Passover. And the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. We read in John 19 and 31. The Jews therefore because it was the preparation That the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For the Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. And that they might be taken away. Now you got to stay with me very closely. I want to explain to you this high Sabbath. Are y'all with me or am am I boring you to death yet? According to Deuteronomy 21 and 22 through 23. The body was not to remain exposed on a tree overnight. And certainly not on a Sabbath. Our sins were paid for. On the 14th of Nisan, which was Passover. And they were buried with Christ on the 15th of Nisan, which is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But there's so much more to this that I don't want you to miss. John 19 and 32. Then came the soldiers. Watch this. And break the legs of the first and the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, And saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. And he saw that it bare record. And his record is true. And he knoweth, he saith true, that you might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Somebody say, God's got a plan. The word of God is being fulfilled that a bone of him should not be broken. Psalm 34, 20, he keepeth all his bones and not one of them is broken. The word of God is being fulfilled. And another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierce. What was that? It was Zechariah 12 and 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me. Whom they have pierced. God has a plan. And the plan is being unfolded right before their eyes. Well, why not just break his legs? Because he has a plan. The word said that not a bone in his body would be broken. Why couldn't they touch him? Because the word said they couldn't. 
<laughs> See, some of you are picking up what I'm putting down right now. Why hadn't the devil killed me yet? Because the word said he can. Your Bible said no weapon. God have mercy. That is formed against you. He didn't say the weapon's not going to be formed. He said when the weapon is formed, it shall not prosper. Can I just preach to you like your family today and tell you, sometimes I'm real bad when the weapon gets formed at putting the thumb in my mouth and saying, God, why are you letting me go through this? And he's got to remind, I never said that it wouldn't be formed. I just said that it wouldn't prosper. So listen, the exact days of these feasts were the exact days that Jesus was crucified and buried. Why, 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 are you, why are you teaching this, Pastor? Because I want you to understand that when things look like they are out of control, you need to know that God is in full control. So you mean they didn't just select a random day for him to ride in? And it wasn't just a, 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 a random day that he was crucified? Oh, no. And it wasn't just a random day that he was buried? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just a random day either that he was resurrected. This was the beginning of the Feast of first fruits. When the fruits come up from the ground, they're offered up. And can I tell you that the first fruits, the firstborn of every creature, God, I wish I could preach a little Colossians to you right now. The firstborn of every creature comes back out of the earth as the offering of first fruits unto heaven. But I want to tell you, there was another feast that was to come after this one. And he told his disciples after 40 days with many infallible proofs being seen of them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard from me. We got another feast that's coming because God has a plan. I said God has a plan. And God's plan was to let us know that I did not just die in vain. I did not just come down and robe myself in flesh as the image of the invisible God. I did not just robe myself in flesh and be seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. But I came down with a plan. And the plan was that you need to know, I purchased your redemption. The blood of the spotless lamb was slain for you so that you and I could be free. I want to help some, some people in this place today that have been struggling maybe. Can I just slow down for about five minutes and preach to you? Can I have a few more minutes? When our lives feel like chaos, we start asking some crazy questions. We go through some things that are pretty tough. And, and I want to encourage you, if I may today, to tell you that you are not. Now listen very closely to what Pastor saying. I'm not saying you're not spiritual, okay? You are not so spiritual that you'll never have questions. Some of you need to take some pressure off yourselves. You think God's holding it against you because you had some questions. <laughs> I've laid on my face. Wept probably bitter tears. Brother Gordon, I love you. Good to see you. I've laid on my face and wept bitter tears. God, why? Why did it happen like that? Why did it happen now? I've asked God, never charged him foolishly, but I've asked God why. And it's in those moments of weakness that I felt the enemy whisper to me. See, why would you serve a God that you question? 
Why would you serve a God that would let you go through seasons like this? Why would you trust a God that leaves you with questions in your mind? But when you start understanding the context of who he is, that even Moses, who was his man of deliverance, could not see into all of God's processes. When God puts him in the cleft of the rock, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. That God puts him in the cleft of the rock and holds his hand over the cleft of the rock. And he says, Moses, you can't see what I'm doing while I'm doing it. But when I'm done, he said, you will see my hinder parts. What does that mean? Does that mean that he just saw God's backside? No, it means God was saying to him, you can't see the process. But when I'm finished, you're going to know that I've been here all the time. if, if, If Moses... If I were to spread my fingers right now and let you look into the process, you would die because you can't handle the process. You can't handle seeing what I'm doing, but you've got to trust me to know that if I'm working, it's for your good. Hey, I'm convinced somebody in this place is going to believe it before the rapture of the church that all things work together. For the good of them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Either he's working for my good or he's not working at all. You you can't be so spiritual that you don't have questions. Now John Baptist is the forerunner of the Messiah. John Baptist has a revelation of Jesus Christ that no other living soul has yet. Read in your Bible that it is John, the cousin of Jesus, that introduces him to his disciples and believers as the Lamb of God. He said, behold, wouldn't you love to have a video of that? Could you imagine how many hits that would get on YouTube? Seeing this man come walking out of the water with a look on his face. And telling everybody, look, 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 look. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. He introduces. Y'all understand that? He introduces the Lamb of God to the world. It's a revelation nobody else has. No, nobody's seen this before. But John. And John... Being the forerunner of Christ is preparing the way for the kingdom of God. As he walks throughout the land, getting the attention of all the politicians, including King Herod. He's preaching to them, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. I'd say that John was a firebrand preacher preaching repentance. And I'd say that John got the attention of all the kingdom. Let me tell you that in Luke 7 and 19, that John was in a tough place. Now, John was imprisoned. John was isolated all by himself. Was John a mighty man of God? Absolutely. Was John the forerunner of Christ? Sure he was. Did John have revelation nobody else did? Yeah. Was John depressed? Yes. What? But, but, but pastor, I, I, I can't be spiritual and distressed. Oh, but you can. Paul said, I'm distressed on every side. He said, it's come from every direction. He said, I've been pressed down. and I've never been destroyed. Oh, God, I wish I could preach that for a while. 
If I get preaching on that right there, your roast is going to burn in the crock pot, I'm telling you. John's by himself, isolated in prison. He sends for two of his disciples. His disciples come in verse 19. He sent them to Jesus. Now, follow me very closely here. John obviously knows who Jesus is. He introduces him to the world. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and he said, well, are you him? Or should we start looking for another? John is isolated. And when you get isolated and offended, you start questioning things you knew the most. That's why the body of Christ is so important. That's why you can't sit at home and watch church on your telephone. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Should we look for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John sent us to you, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or should we look for another? And in that same hour, what hour? In John's darkest hour, in the same hour that John had questions, he cured many of their infirmities, plagues of evil spirits. Unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Listen, John's waiting on an answer. And Jesus is doing miracles. These disciples are following along behind us. Uh, excuse me, excuse, sir. Uh, Jesus. Uh, John is waiting. Hang on just one second. Eyes be open. <laughs> Deaf ears. <laughs> open. <laughs> uh, sir, John needs an answer. Give me just one second. Leper, be healed. <laughs> Boom. He's healed. Uh, sir, I still have questions. Listen, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying just because it's not happening in your world doesn't mean it's not happening. You're going to be in seasons where the miracles aren't for you and the miracles aren't for your family. But if you can learn to rejoice, that miracles are still happening. In that same hour, he cured many. Then Jesus. Then Jesus. When? After Jesus got through doing what he had to do. Why? Because he has a plan. Why didn't Jesus just send them back to John? Because he had to show them a few things. He said, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And by the way, John, blessed are they that are not offended in me. How do you know that he's offended? Because when we get offended, we start questioning the things that we know most. In the Luke 24, in time eschatology chapter, it said that offense precedes deception. When you open yourself up to a spirit of offense, you're going to be deceived. And the Lord was telling John, you've almost finished your race, son. Don't you go getting offended now because offense precedes deception. You know who I am and you know what I'm doing. I'm still the Christ. I need that to make sense to me, Pastor. Okay, I'll tell you, he's still as much God while you're in prison as he was when you were preaching, John. He said, you go tell John. 
I have a plan. Well, what's the plan? I'm closing. Isaiah 35. Can I read a little more scripture to you? I love the word of God. In Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. This don't even make sense, Brother Kevin. The desert shall rejoice. The dry places are going to rejoice. The blossom, there's going to be blossoming as a rose. Anybody here know the rose of Sharon? It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and sing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and, and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. And the excellency of our God. Somebody say the glory of the Lord. And the excellency of our God. He said strengthen ye the weak hands. Confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart. Be strong. Fear not. Behold. Your God. Somebody shout that. Your God. Your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Your God will come and save you. How will we know when? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse number five, your God's going to come save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Verse six. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Was Jesus being insensitive to John? Or was Jesus letting John know, my word is being fulfilled. John said, are you really him? And Jesus starts quoting Isaiah. How shall we know when God has come? He said, you're going to know when God has come because the blind eyes are seeing and the deaf ears are hearing and the lame are walking and the dumb are singing songs and the dead are being raised. He said, John, I want to tell you in these last few hours, son, I need you to stand on the word because Messiah has come. I'm preaching to you this morning I'm finished but I'm preaching to somebody in here that's looking at a dark season in your life that 2,000 years ago he came with a plan and he still got a plan today the plan of God is being unfolded in your life hold on John hold on John the answer has come And you've done all you can. Come on. Somebody help me now. When you've done all you can. Priscilla Magruder said it. Stand on the word. Oh, hallelujah. Stand. 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 Stand on the word, brother. Carol told the story the other day. With this, I'm closing. He, he told the story because of the times. Sister uh, Priscilla had come through cancer treatments. And he started telling the story. She'd started in her treatment. She was very, very sick. Very, very, very sick. And he said, one day I, I walked in the house. So I came down the hall and opened up the door. And Priscilla was standing there in the bedroom. He said, honest to God, I thought she'd gone nuts. He said, I thought she'd lost her mind. I, I really, he said, I, I honestly did. I thought medication's got her. And she's lost her mind. He said, because when I walked in there, he said, I looked. And she was standing on her Bible. Brother Magruder said, uh, Sweetheart, 
are, are, are you okay? <laughs> he said, like, I'm, I'm fixing to admit her. Like, she's lost her mind. He said, Scylla, baby, are, are you okay? She said, Carol, I don't even have the strength to talk to you. She said, I can't even respond because I'm so weak. He said, baby, what are, what are you doing? She said, Carol, I can stand on his word. Hey, when you've done everything you can, you just remember that God has a plan. Sister Lucy, we know God has a plan, sweetheart. God didn't bring you here to leave you. He brought you here to turn your life around. You can stand. Oh, I feel him in this house this morning. God's got a plan. And you can stand on the word of God. Oh, when you've done all you can, stand on the word. When you stood all you can stand. Just do what you've learned. Remember all you've read is true. God will always see you through. In spite of everything you've heard, stand on his word. If there's anybody in the house this morning that's willing to step out by faith and say, Pastor, my faith has been tested just a little bit. I've had some dark seasons, but God's been faithful. You may be here this morning and be in one of those seasons where it feels like it's been so long since you've seen the light of day. I want to tell you this morning, help is here. The hand of God is here. God has a plan this morning. I know you may feel like you're wandering aimlessly in the wilderness of life, but God has a plan. God has a plan for you this morning. I'm asking for hearts to be surrendered to Jesus right now. If you want God to do something in your world and in your life, I just want you to raise your hands and surrender to Him today and say, God, whatever you have for me, I trust your plan. Whatever you have for my life, God. God. God, whatever you want to do in me today, I trust your plan. When I can't see your hand, Lord, I can always trust your heart. (laughs) Come on. Don't miss this opportunity. I was praying in the prayer room this morning, and I prayed for those that are going to be here today in the valley of decision. God, somebody in this place today is at the point of making a decision that could forever destroy their life. But Lord, let them know that they're also one decision away from changing their life forever. I'm telling you, you can decide right now. Right now, in this moment, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I could bring elders in this church before you today. My sweet grandmother, Sister Reno, Sister Martha, they've been through it. I could bring some elders up here, put them in front of you and say, you know what the difference in these people and some others are? They just won't quit. Brother McLean, there's people here today that could have walked away bitter, but they wouldn't quit. Oh, God. Sister Jenny, you just kept loving God. 
Oh, let the Holy Ghost touch you right now. There is comfort in this room right now. God put a fight in somebody's spirit. Put a fight in somebody's spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Oh, I speak life today. Would you extend your hands of faith this way right now? God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my brother right now. In this season of darkness, Lord, reveal your light to him, oh God. That's it, brothers. Encourage your brother in the Lord right now. here today as a living testimony that God's plan is always the best plan and he knows how to work it out would you just give him thanks all over this room he's never left you friend thank God for sister Marjorie Warren just keeps on loving God every Sunday oh thank God for these precious people Woo! Hallelujah. That's it, Sister Mains. Let the Lord minister to you right now. Just receive strength. That's it. Hallelujah. You sisters that are standing there, just, just pray over Sister Mains right now.